What's happening, everybody? Welcome to Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. Man, it's good to be back. John Harris alongside Mark Vandermeer. And we will start the show with, well, I can say it now. He's our good friend. He's the general manager of your Houston Texans, Nick Casario. And we got a little uh, HEB question that will arise. In fact, we're going to ask Nick about this. So let's get to it. We got a chance to catch up with the general manager of your Houston Texans. Been a little busy lately, kind of chided me for, uh, he hadn't seen me in like a month. Yeah, I was in Mobile. He was hiring a coach. I mean, you got to do what you got to do, right? So here we go. Mark, me, Nick. Let's roll. Here in the Hyundai Texans radio studio for the first time, sort of in 2023, it's Nick Casario, general manager of your Texans. How's it going, Nick? Fellas, great to be here. Good to see you. Good to see you. I know you've been busy, new head coach, putting a staff together, putting evaluation together for the coming season. So give us a little update of what you've been doing since the press conference introducing D'Amico Ryans. Yeah, no, it's been great, kind of full speed ahead. So we've kind of been immersed in a little bit of everything. Uh, first and foremost was the focus on the coaching staff trying to solidify the staff, went through a process there uh, last week, uh, multiple moving parts, mm -hmm. but just trying to identify some different people and players that, or excuse me, coaches that we thought, you know, would be a fit for, for what we're doing. So that was the primary focus. Now that we kind of have, I would say, the majority of the staff in place, we've kind of transitioned to the new staff, sort of familiarizing themselves with our team. So to have an understanding of what we have here, both players on the roster and then players that will be free agents before we transition to looking at players externally in terms of who's going to be available league-wide. So that's kind of the bucket for the uh, the coaches. And on the scouting side, we actually have our, our staff here, college scouting staff here. So we're going through our second round of draft meetings where this is a little bit more granular in terms of the evaluation, where we actually talk about the player, what's the role, what's the vision, what's the grade, how do we see that player and then earmarking some players that we haven't had the opportunity to visit with in terms of underclassmen, we'll have an interaction with them at the Combine. So that's what the last, call it, seven to ten days have entailed. Uh, we'll get through the week with our college draft meetings, kind of have an open week last week, excuse me, next week, which will be for our staff's coaching staff, and then the following week will be the Combine, um, mm -hmm. and that will entail some other activities as well. So trying to balance everything off, trying to be cognizant of – how much we put on a coaching staff, they'll be involved in the evaluation process, but just kind of balancing that all off um, relative to the work that we've done to this point. I'm sure that's been all fun and such, but I missed you in Mobile, my man. <laughs> it would have been, it would I watched been, all the tape. Don't worry. I, I'm, so. sure, I'm sure I'm sure got you caught did. caught up on it. I'm so. sure you did. So since I wasn't here while that was going on, I was watching from afar, and obviously you know, didn't have a chance to talk to you about that. Just the decision to bring on D'Amico Ryans, what's that meant? to you how's the relationship between the two of you and how much did you know D'Amico before this whole process yeah great question we really didn't know each other all that well I think we knew of each other um played against the teams that he was on here sure. both here in Houston that we actually played against Philadelphia mm -hmm. there at the end when he was on the roster so it was really more from afar and the first opportunity to really get to know him a little bit more in detail was when we interviewed him you know for the first time Obviously, had an existing relationship with the organization. Um, so let's say a little bit more intimate just in, from him on a personal level. But when we actually, from a football standpoint, really haven't had – we didn't have that much dialogue or discussion. But I'd say fast forward to where we are now. I mean, he, it's been it's been awesome the last however many days since he's been here. Um, it's kind of funny. It's been – he hasn't stopped because he's gone from end of their season, 
then he literally mm-hmm. flew out here the next day for our kind of second follow-up interview. Then we named him the head coach. Then he went back to San Fran. Then he came back for the press conference. Then he went home. Now he's been here. Um, and we, I mean, we have multiple discussions on a daily basis. He's actually been in some of our draft meetings. So he's just starting to hear about some of these players for the first time, sort of make some of his notes. Um, so, I mean, it's, he's been really a joy to work with. I mean, I have a lot of respect and appreciation for him both on a personal and professional level. We understand we have a lot of work ahead of us, but he's been great to work with and just try to be a resource and a sounding board and just really us kind of lean on each other a little bit, you know, respect where he's coming from on some things. I have some viewpoints, and we kind of have to blend them together and ultimately into making good decisions for the organization. Nick, good coaches can come from anywhere, but D'Amico was a player. So coaches who have been players at a high level, especially at a leadership position the way he was, what does that mean as they become a head coach? And it feels like just a couple of months ago that he was actually playing this game, yet he's been coaching for a while too. Yeah, there's certainly something to be said for it, and you're starting to see when you look around the league a little bit it become a little bit more commonplace. Uh, you can't – I certainly can't reduplicate that when, you know, you're with the player, you're having a dialogue with the player – a coach that's a player understands essentially every dynamic that the player might be going through, both on a personal level, both on a professional level, what's a week-to-week kind of workload like, mm-hmm. what happens after a game, how do you feel after the game, the mindset in the off season, Like that, for a player to go through that or having gone through that, now he's looking at it through a coach lens and to be able to have an understanding of what the player that is sitting across from you goes through, it's – it's huge. When you look at the AFC South, I mean, really, would you have three former players that are head coaches in Mike, Doug, um, and D'Amico? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Shane played, but, you know, it's a different right. dynamic. But, I mean, it's it's certainly valuable. It's not the sole criteria, but when you factor it into the overall equation, there's certainly relevance, and it's important. It ends up being maybe more important than you realize. Nick, as you were talking about basically your February, as it's been, there's so many different different balls that you're juggling as you're trying to get you making sure that you guys are on point with what you want to do at the combine you get the Miko hired and now you're thinking about a coaching staff and so I want to go there with this hiring a coaching staff I think to the outside world maybe it's just well you know this guy so this guy comes in and you kind of move the chess pieces around it but inside the building it feels a whole lot more difficult than that what is kind of the process as you go through of building a coaching staff and what's the biggest thing that you look for when you are trying to build that staff? Obviously, D'Amico and what he wants to do, but how difficult does that become to get together a how many ever person staff you're going to have? No, it's, I mean, it's certainly a process. Fit is important. And really what we have to do kind of as a staff, as an organization, is rely on the people that we have here to gather information. So, Everybody's going to have, I would say, opinions. We've, I've worked with such and such a coach. He could be a good coach, a good fit. Well, what's important? What's the criteria? What's important to the head coach? Is the coach available? Is he interested in coming here? Can he actually get out of his contract? Does he have other options? Right. So you have to weigh all those factors, but you really try to start at the macro level on a coordinator level, and then once you kind of fill in the coordinator level – then supplement the rest of the infrastructure on the respective side of the ball. And you have to take into consideration your existing staff because there could be some coaches on uh, the staff that was here previously that end up staying. Could be moving on from some of those folks. You're going to be bringing in replacements from other places, whether it's San Francisco or maybe they were somebody else. So you rely on information. Uh, We actually had a fair amount of traffic 
in the building with uh, coaches that we interviewed. So D'Amico mm. and I talked to a number over Zoom, and then we distilled it down and said maybe there's two or three people that we want to bring in to the facility to spend a little more time with just to get a little more feel and do a little more research. And then, okay, once you go through that, then you establish the coordinators, then some of the position coaches, where are they coming from? Are they available? Are they have a commitment somewhere else? So to your point, John, there's a, a lot of moving parts, exactly. and there's no right or wrong answer. You just have to go with what you think makes the most sense. And there's a few spots that we're still looking to fill that are open, um, but you really just want to make good, sound decisions, which essentially what we're trying to do at all levels, playing, coaching, operations, staff, right people, right fit, right process. Who are those people? Where do they come from? And they could come from a myriad of different spots. As you evaluate the players, the existing Texans, guys under contract, or maybe those whose contracts are expiring, you might want to have back. How is it different? How does it help possibly to have D'Amico come in and look at them with you and you're saying, well, here's Damian Pierce. He's pretty good or whatever the case may be and getting a different perspective as the coaches come into the building. Yeah, it's important. I mean, I can have my opinions about like where we think the team is or what do we think of Mm -hmm. a certain player. He's taken the last, you know, however many days he's gone through our team, you know, which is a pretty substantial exercise. But to familiarize himself with, and we didn't play, we didn't play San Francisco this year. We played him in a preseason. We played yeah. him last year in 2021. So understanding our players, understanding our team, and then if he has a question, then I can kind of fill in the gaps. So let him kind of create his own opinion because you don't want to just force an opinion on a player. Well, here's what I think. Okay, well, it doesn't mean that's right. It just means, well, here's maybe here's some background. Okay, how do you view the player? Does this player fit? Do you think it makes sense? So we've gone through some position fits. What's important? What's important on a defensive line? What's important at defensive tackle? What's important at defensive end? What's important at linebacker? Can you play with this person at nickel? What are some of the criteria? And doing that on both sides of the ball so that as you're bringing players onto the team or considering players, you're factoring all those variables in. Timeline, we talked about a little bit. Combine's coming up in a couple weeks. I think a couple yeah. weeks from tonight, we'll, we'll all be at the Combine in some sense. The preparation for that, Nick, I know during the season you, you watch a ton of guys that are coming from college, so you're pretty much up on that. But in having to spend time in getting the coaching staff and getting D'Amico right and doing all that, do you feel you're where you want to be as you get ready to evaluate this 2023 class and get ready to meet them for the first time at the Senior Bowl? Yeah, no, I'd say we're in a pretty good combine. Excuse yeah, me. no, we're in a pretty good spot. I mean, Lip's done an unbelievable job just on the college side, kind of organizing that. Mm-hmm. So we've been able to kind of stay on track here a little bit with our evaluations, with our process, some of the things that we know that we need to do. Part of our job is with the coaching staff is just try to figure out what's the right load and number of players for them to evaluate. Just philosophically, what we believe in, it's more of focus groups, certain pockets of players, as opposed to here's a list of 50. Right go ahead and evaluate them like they have other things that they have to focus on playbook scheme working with the staff so we have to be cognizant and respectful of their time but we also value their opinion so that's why we have a scouting staff both college staff and a pro staff to kind of set the table on pro side and free agency college side as we prepare for the combine and as we look forward to the draft but that's where going back to what I said a little bit earlier you're relying on the people that you have and if you have confidence in the people to do their job then it sort of makes that transition as you're going through a lot of different things a lot easier. So you determine the job descriptions of everybody at the combine before the combine. I got to, I got to think. And when they get there, we see assistant coaches of all varieties at the combine. So are they looking at the drills in the bowl in their specific position group or does it change? Do they help out in the interviews sometimes? 
a little bit of everything there, Mark. I would say the primary focus, I would say, for us are the interviews. Not that the workouts don't matter on the field. Right. But, all right, you just have to be careful about how much stock you actually put into that. But it's a real good opportunity, kind of in a formal setting. You have 15 minutes. Not that you're going to get anything accomplished in 15 minutes. But you have an opportunity to sort of get a feel for a player maybe you hadn't met with. And then the informal interview process, you can do a little bit more of the heavy lifting. So I would say – what we're noticing, what I'm noticing, is less and more and more teams are taking less and less people and less and less coaching staffs to the combine because they're better served to kind of focus on football. But there's mechanisms and technology available if you wanted to zoom a coach in or zoom somebody in during an interview. You have the capacity and ability to do that. So I think it's being efficient with your time, being productive with your time, and what's the best way to kind of balance all that off. Nick, outside of the medicals, what's the most important piece of information that you get from the combine? Yeah, it's probably just the interview overall impression or a starting point of what's I'd say our focus is going to be mostly on the underclassmen who right. haven't been available. So no all-star game. You really haven't had an opportunity to interact with them anywhere else. So it's the first opportunity to sit and have a conversation like this. And our approach is to make it really more conversational with the player, not like why have them walk in a room with, you know, 50 people with a camera and create an environment where like, they're not really like you want to just have a conversation about, mm -hmm. you know, it's not necessarily background related. It's more kind of football related kind of, you know, how you arrived at this point, maybe what are some of the things that you did from a football standpoint, understanding that there's going to be more follow-up work is a good chance that we're going to have to do on the majority of the players that we even visit with there. Yeah. I do well in that 50 people of the camera interview, by the <laughs> yeah, way. You yeah, I, but conversationally, you do well too. I, I could, right. I could probably handle that. It's the playing part yeah, where I couldn't thrive, Nick. A lot as, of people's issue. As we talk about players, and it's the time of year in the media, everybody's talking about these draftable players, and oh my gosh, this guy's so great or whatever. How do you evaluate work ethic? Is there any other way to do it than talk to people who have worked with them, so you can see or get anecdotal evidence anyway on how they got from point A to point B and the amount of effort they put in? How do you evaluate that? Sure, that's a part of it. And then also, have we seen it? So mm -hmm. the area scout, when he went into the school, when he watched him practice, when he watched him play, what were his habits? What were some of his mannerisms? Or does what the staff actually says, does that match up with what we actually see? So I think that's – we put the kind of the onus on the area scout or the scout that goes into the school. Don't just rely on what somebody's telling you. If there's something that refutes what they're telling you, like you have a responsibility to articulate that. So don't just kind of take it at face value because I would say sometimes – majority of the time it matches up, but there's sometimes they say one thing. We may go out to practice or watch a game and say, wait a minute, like this doesn't match up. So then it forces you to a deeper dive. So – the most important thing is to get the right information so that we can make an accurate assessment. And then in the end, we have to say, here's what we think we are inheriting when he comes in the building. Here are the things that we're going to have to improve or work on to get the player to a point where he can perform at a good level for our team. So you're going to tell us right now you're drafting at 2 and 12? <laughs> exactly. Is that, that going to happen? Exactly. <laughs> we have plenty of time to sure. talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. Um, you mentioned something about information, and you maybe kind of answered it. Is there such a thing as too much information? Too much information. Not all information is good information. So we take in and consume a lot of information. Um, I would say I like to take in a lot of information and then just kind of crystallize it into a, all right, what's the bottom line? So whether it's character background, player reports, analytical studies, 
medical information, you know, I like to consume a lot of information, but you don't want to, in the end, you have to make a decision sure. and you can't, you just have to at some point say, all right, here's what we're comfortable with. Um, but rely again, like I talked about a little bit earlier, rely on the people that are providing that information. I mean, our staff does an unbelievable job, I would say, of really drilling down and then doing follow-up work. I'd say between now and the draft, the area scouts have already put in a lot of work. Now it's going to be kind of, let's just go back one more time. Let's make sure, okay, this coach had this to say about this player. All right, we've had interaction at the All-Star game. There's something different. Hey, let's go back. Maybe we got to talk to his high school coach one more time. Hey, you know what? I had a question about something. What's your interpretation? So that's where you want to continue to drill down. Now, once you have a, a clear picture, put that to bed, and then let's move on. So I think that's where you have to be able to draw the line somewhere, not just keep going back on a player when you start to know what the answer is. All right, somewhere in this building there's a draft board, and I promise I won't go snooping around looking Probably for digitally. it. Probably digitally. It's not like <laughs> okay. on a sheet of paper anymore. It's, it's not a big somewhere. chalkboard. No yeah. chalk. No, no chalk. No, definitely no chalk. <laughs> Is there a free agent board, a potential free agent board? Like, these are the guys that we're interested in. Obviously, you can't get them all, and who knows what factors into that, but how does that work? Yeah, it's the same idea. I would say the numbers are probably a little bit less because at some point you have to factor in the market and the finances and look at the level of commitment that you're, A, going to make and how many – players you can actually commit to at a certain level figure out where you are financially i would say you know we certainly have a little bit of flexibility um in terms of free agency but okay it's one player at said cost versus two or three players at a different cost what's the best thing for our team ultimately we're going to do what we feel is in the best interest of our team so the numbers are probably you're just dealing with a smaller pool than you are kind of you're going from i don't know 150 to 200 during the fall in the draft to whatever your number is that you would actually draft. So the, the free agent process is similar. Realistically, you're not talking about maybe more than 25, 30 players in the end. Mm -hmm. I would imagine, this is just me reading it to this, that as a GM, when you hear people say, well, they have cap space, that's got to be one of the worst things to hear because everybody expects, well, you have cap space, you got to go spend. <laughs> and yet you have so many different things that I don't think people are taking into account. You got the rookie class, you've got some other uh, renegoti renegotiations. So, yes, you do have cap space, but Nick, that gets eaten up pretty, pretty quickly with one or two transactions either way. It's a great point, John. And what we try to do is really look at it in two-year windows or two-year blocks. So wherever we are currently here in March of 2023, I mean, February, March of 2023, we'll go through the free agent process. We'll be at a certain point. However many players we draft, okay, there's another called 18 to 20 million that you're probably going to eat up. And then you have operating expenses during the course of the year that you're going to practice squad, injured reserve. So you want to make sure that, you know, you have a little bit of a uh, – uh, room yep. to operate more than anything and then start to think about all right where are we going to be 2024 so you're kind of looking at two-year windows um, but to your point like one transaction could eat up a substantial amount it doesn't mean that you can't do it it just means if you do that there's going to be some level of trickle down and you just have to be able to pl uh, plan and adjust accordingly all right nick we're going to give away an heb gift card to a listener right now okay. 100 heb wow. gift card and you're going to I help us decide what That's question one of my favorite things to do go to the grocery there store. there we go Every, everybody <laughs> I, loves I don't HEB. think i qualify for that card so <laughs> you don't qualify because you're going to know the answer to the question okay. uh but you Hopefully. can help us decide what question it involves you oh, and johnny oh. thought my question was too difficult don't say I, the answer okay. i was going to say what coach in the top five all-time wins went to your alma mater? Johnny thinks we should just ask, what is your alma mater? Which question should we ask for the HEB gift card? 
Uh, I would say probably what is the alma mater. Okay. Bingo. Is that what John said? Just keep said? it simple. That's exactly what I said. They yeah. might get the coach. Can I well, actually, I'll give you maybe a separate trivia question. Okay. I probably have Please to give do. credit to Burt Breer because I read this. All right. So I think there's either four head coaches currently that um, went to high schools in Northeast Ohio within a 45-minute, 50-mile uh, radius of one another. So do you think there's some, Do you think there's something to that? The hotbed don't that ask, it is. Don't ask me is my like, opinion. <laughs> is that like uh, '60s and '70s quarterbacks coming from? And we're not even counting Sirianni. So, but oh, he's not including that mix. I found out the other day. I saw Sirianni's last game at Mount Union, playing oh, a yeah. national championship game against St. John's. My buddy of mine went to St. John's, and so we went to the game. I didn't realize I was watching Nick Sirianni. They didn't well, lose many. He's games not in that. Man, he's not in that. Four? He's not in that four. Oh, it's wow. a different. I was thinking uh, it's a different group. We won't say your alma mater, but Mount Union were they. It, that was legal, what they've been doing, right? With 200 players or something like that. They have their own farm system on campus, however they work it. No, I mean, it's incredible what Coach Kara's built and kind of the culture and environment that they created. I mean, it's I mean, mind-numbing. I mean, mm -hmm. that was the only team we didn't beat. Great teams. I mean, honestly, I think over the course of, I mean, eight to ten years, they might have lost like six games. I mean, it's just yeah. – and they were high volume. And they kind of – and your number, a couple 200, I mean, that was – yeah, I and mean, they had a lot of good players, but they were well coached. They were disciplined. They were highly productive offensively. They played smart and tough on defense. I mean, they're – I mean, a great program, and a lot of good people and players and coaches have gone through there and have gone on and been very, very successful. First coach in Texans history, Dom Capers, Mount mm -hmm. Union. Did yep. you talk to him about that when he was with the Patriots <laughs> we, for a brief time? We may have had a conversation about that at some <laughs> point. So, yeah. he, he was best friends with Larry Karras. Yeah. They no. were roommates or something. Great lot of respect for that program. A lot Absolutely. of history. All right, Nick, thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks, guys. That was great stuff from Nick Casario, general manager of your Houston Texans. Still got plenty of work to do. Man, his to-do list Speak with the pro scouts on free agency. Speak with the college scouts on the draft. Make sure the coaching search continues and help there. Man, there's a lot going on in Nick Casario's world, and we appreciate him taking a few minutes to chat with us about all of it. Now, one of the units that seemingly is in pretty good shape as we go into 2023 is the secondary. Each Wednesday, Mark and I will pick a position, and we'll break it down. We'll do that next right here on Texas All Access. Welcome back to Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. Man, is it good to say that. I'm John Harris alongside Mark Vandermeer. Still, we let Nick go off and do work that he needed to do. Sure. But, Mark, H-E-B question. All right, so we decided that we would ask what alma mater belongs to Nick Casario. Right. All right. So answer that correctly. Where did he go to college, in other words? Get it right first mm -hmm. on the tweet that promoted tonight's show. It's a little photo of Johnny... Nick Casario and me, nice. and you get it right first in the replies. And look, if there's a little dispute, I'll just give away two d gift cards. That's just how I like that here. you do that. Yeah, I like not? that you do that. That's, not? I'm, that's not gonna be, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be overly on. picky on that. I said that wrong. I like that we do that. Yeah, we I mean, do you're that. you're driving the train on that, but I I can appreciate okay. that for sure. It's a team effort, Johnny. Total um, team effort. We talked a lot with Nick about. The oh, by the way, the team. I'm at Texans Voice, just so we have that settled. At Jay Harris Football, at Texans Voice. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what you want and need to know. Now, we uh, talking with Nick a lot about the combine. That's the, the future of the team. Yeah. Talk about the future of the team by position. I wrote yesterday about the secondary. Okay. I'm giving my position breakdowns, going through the secondary, trying to figure out, all right, what, not what will the Texans do, but... It's all my opinion. It has nothing to do with Nick or anything. Just 
where the Texans are, yeah. who's on the roster, who's an unrestricted free agent, what they might do in free agency, and then where they might look in the draft. Okay. So when you think about secondary, gut reaction, right off the bat, secondary, two safeties, two corners, a nickel thrown in there. What's your read, just gut reaction to what's available uh, or what this secondary will look like in 2023? Just so you know, here's here's the breakdown of who's back. Who's definitely back, at least as far as we As far as now. we know right now. Yeah. Steven Nelson, Jalen Petrie, Derek Stingley, Desmond King, Eric Murray, Kobe Francis, Graylin Arnold. Also, uh, Nick added two defensive backs, D'Angelo Ross and Kadar Holman. They signed reserve contracts, so they're on board as well. So, free agents in the back end. Jonathan Owens, Traymond Smith, mm. MJ Stewart, Tab Thomas. That's what we know right now as it sits. Okay. Your gut reaction to how this, where the secondary is and what you think the offseason might bring to the secondary. So, J.O. is going to be a free agent. How's this going to go in the Biles household? Mm. That's what I want to know. Yeah. If he's not back, mm-hmm. is she still going to be friends with us? <laughs> it's a business. <laughs> she knows this. I mean, she's she from Houston, this. right? So yeah. I would think. And look, if he gets more money elsewhere, that's a business decision right? for him to. And just... he would have gotten that money by having the opportunity to play here last year. Yeah, so it's all good for everybody. But we'll see how that goes. But I think obviously him being a free agent, you have to look there first, John. Mm-hmm. Because I do like the accommodation of Stingley and Nelson. And do they add? You said Dez is back. Dez is right? back too. Dez is still under contract, and Dez is a valuable player for this team. I have a theory. What's your? Do you want to hear my theory? Or you want to keep going? Go ahead. Dez was at the D'Amico Ryan's press conference, by the way. If you end up losing Jonathan, and he takes, you know, he goes somewhere else. Yeah. What about Desmond King transitioning to safety, doing the, the Kareem Jackson thing that should have been done well before it actually happened, and actually moving Desmond King to safety? In this defense. I think ball skills-wise, absolutely. You tell mm-hmm. me about tackling if that is yeah, there because J.O. had a billion tackles. Mm-hmm. Now, look, if you're tackling guys downfield, that's not always the sexiest thing in the world, but you have to stop them from inflicting further damage, and you have to ultimately be able to bring those guys down. He might welcome something like that as he advances in his career. He's 28 years old now, so maybe that's something that Des would look at. Maybe that's something they would look at. I still think they're going to draft or bring in another safety. You said Murray's gone too, right? No, Murray's here. Oh, Murray's still Murray's here. In a contract, Murray's yeah. a nice depth player for them. And look, MJ Stewart had some moments, did he? He not? did. At the end special of the year, the last and... four or five games of the year, all year on special teams, last probably seven, eight games of the year. He got more time at safety, and he did some good things back there for sure. You, you know what? You and I find this stuff exciting, and maybe the average casual fan doesn't, but the guys they sign, like the Kings, Traymond Smiths and MJ Stewarts, those players make plays. Mm-hmm. They do. You yep. need those players. Yep. So we'll see who they bring in this year, whether or not they retain Smith or whether they – retain MJ Stewart. Right. They're going to bring in players like that right. because you have to fill the roster Absolutely. that way and draft your young players, but you cannot count on them to shine immediately like a Jalen Petrie. So I expect them to draft a safety somewhere and probably bring in another free agent at safety. It might not be the sexiest signing, a marquee busting sports center leading signing, but it'll be a signing and it'll be somebody who can make some plays for them. I'm going to ask you this because I've seen this a few times now. I saw a I can't remember who wrote it, friendofl.com, wrote an article today assessing the Texans' draft from 2022. Gave it a B minus. He gave the he gave the Titans a B. I'm like, what? He gave the Titans a B? For what? Traylon Burks? 
who was hurt well, a lot. I, yeah, so I'm like, eh, I don't know. Roger Malik McCurry. Willis? Roger McCurry played a lot for them. I'm like, what? He said that Jalen Petrie's season was serviceable. Uh, it was a little bit more than serviceable. I would, I've, but I've seen that a couple player. times now. Like people are like, well, it was you know it was serviceable. You know, Jalen Petrie showed because the Texans were a three win team. That's it. And he missed tackles, and I think that's you know that's something easily that PFF can point out. But he also had 140 plus tackles and five interceptions. He's one of five defensive players to do that since 1991. Here's the idea. Like, the idea is that Petrie doesn't have to make quite as many tackles. How oh, about yeah. that? Let's start there. Speaking of that, mm-hmm. I'm going to put the number at 235. Four. Combined tackles, your two starting safeties last year. Oof. Over, under. Oh, it was over that. Okay, I'll put the number at 270. Was it over, under? Uh, it was just over. It was. It was 272 tackles. Yeah. Yeah. Spot. That's, See, that's, uh, even that's I could do that math. <laughs> even I could do that quickie that's, math. That's yeah. got to change. Yeah. And, and Jalen had 147 tackles, led the team. And he also had, I think the number was 30 to 32 missed tackles. Well, remember, J.O. was racking up all those tackles relatively yeah. early. Yeah. He had a hard by midseason, it felt and like. And then Petrie started to light it up tackle-wise. And mm-hmm. tackle stats are kind of a dubious honor sometimes no, right. based on the position group and all of that. You're right. But Petrie had the five picks. And I know sometimes the picks come to you, but I like that. I think he's one of those guys, the ball comes to him. Let me, it finds him, and he picks it off. That's good. I think that kind of thing, you hope it continues. I mean, D'Amico Ryan said at the press conference, Jalen, we got to continue to take the ball away. He'll continue to do that. I think they'll look to get as good as possible through the draft at that particular position. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's those three guys mm-hmm. plus a new safety, probably not a draft pick, probably a veteran. Maybe they move King. Maybe they find somebody else to play that spot. And a draft choice could possibly work his way in. And as we know, it's not just about four DBs. It's about the 800 guys are going to roll through there. Okay, so let me, I'm going to throw this, not really a caveat, but just this. How do you assess this statement? This might be the best and most, in the deepest cornerback class. Mm. In quite some time in the NFL draft. I mean, Mark, 1 through 25 can, I mean, it. Mark, it's. I, You're I'm, talking about your top 25 I'm, corners. Okay, just just listen. Th- just listen to this, okay? 6220 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6-2-2-0-1, 6
but you don't know if Tremont's coming back. But you also have Desmond, who's played some out there, and obviously Kobe's a young dude. I think you're going to have to draft that corner at some point. You don't have to do it early. I don't think you have to do it early. But You have I do to address think, safety, though, also. I know. You have to address safety for sure. But uh, how about this? Uh, veteran and draft choice at both spots. You have 11 yeah, draft so. picks. You're going to draft a corner somewhere. You have to because, mm-hmm. look, Stingley, as much as we love him, got hurt. Yeah, Don't you want to see that happen again. You got on Sam Elliott somehow. If Nelson goes out, you had a couple of games where you had both those guys out for yeah. a stretch. So let's see what happens here. You're going to have to get deeper. Obviously, you always need that at every position group. But I would not be surprised if they go draft choice and, and veteran at – Free agency, and especially free agency at both spots. And especially those two spots, those guys, if they're not playing, they're going to end up playing a special teams. So you're going to you're going to need special teams guys, be it linebackers, safeties, mm-hmm. and corners. But this is a tremendous. Th- this is why I think it works out for the Texans having such a deep draft class. Is you don't have to take a you know you got two and twelve and 30, 33. Okay, so let me ask you this. This is just a weird kind of. So there's a forfeited pick. Yeah. The Dolphins forfeited pick. So is the top pick of the second round number 32 or is it number 33? I believe it's number 33. I believe they still count that because it's a forfeited pick. It does not accordion the draft, right? Exactly. Because that means that your last pick in the first round or your first pick in the second round, according to the 32 logic with the forfeited pick, would have that five-year option right. possibility. Exactly. They're not going to allow that. Yeah, I didn't think so. So the first pick in the second round is the first pick in the second round, no matter if there's 15 picks right. in the first round. That's how they would play it as yeah. a league, as a policy. Uh, but the fact is this. You're still getting the 33rd player of the draft. You're, yeah. Because we've got the number two spot in the second round. Oh, the number two. That's right. Okay. But so you're, you're getting the 33rd. the second round, yeah. sort of. So which is where... D'Amico Ryan's was picked. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was exactly right. He yeah. was he was pick number thirty three. Yeah, which will be ours. It's it's pick number thirty three, but it's number thirty four overall. Point being, you got two, you got twelve, you got thirty three overall, you got sixty five and seventy three. One of those is probably going to be a corner. One of those is pre- I would imagine probably going to be a corner. All right, give me how many picks was that? Wait, that was two, one, two. 12, 33. That was five. Sixty five, seventy three. That's five picks in top seventy. Okay, so. Of those five picks, this is another show topic, but we'll hit it quickly here. Position groups. Place your bets, everybody. We could do a contest on HoustonTexans.com. Uh, quarterback? Place your bets. Quarterback somewhere. Uh, D-tackle, D-end. Uh, is that one one no. thing? No, D- two different. Two D-tackle, different. D-end, quarterback. You said corner. You have one left. Who Jeez. is it? You gotta have a. You gotta have a, a, a receiver. No, you've gotta have some sort of ball carrying weapon. I don't Ooh. care how you. I don't know how you classify it. I don't want to classify it. Mm-hmm. You gotta have a ball carrying weapon. And I know how people think. I know how people think. Well, he's a receiver. Well, whoa, wait a sec. Wait, whoa, whoa. Look he made that. he played receiver, but he's done some different things. Like Jameer Gibbs, at Alabama. Oh, he's a running back. No, 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 no. Not always. Mm. So somebody like that, I don't, and I don't care. I don't care. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a true receiver. Oh man, I watched a Nico Collins clone last night. Oh, I mean, he is From Nico where? Collins to a T. From where? Tennessee, Cedric Tillman. Oh I mean, yeah, he yeah, is, yeah, yeah. He is Nico Wait. Collins. I'm watching, going, holy cow, that's Nico. Wait, did he have the huge game against Alabama? No, that's Jalen Hyatt. Oh, that's Will Fuller. Wait, is he coming out? I like speaking Texans ease. Yeah, no, it's good. It's like good. translating, Thank you know, it's nice. No, it's, it's like I need ne- the comp. Yeah, Jalen Hyatt is Will Fuller. It's amazing to watch on film and watch the receivers run their routes 
and how they're moving. And then you see Jalen Hyatt. It looks like he's been put in like fast forward motion. <laughs> you know what Fuller was? He was a super expensive, souped up sports car mm -hmm. that was in the shop a lot. Yes, exactly. Because that's what happens to the fine uh, Italian sports cars. Yeah. They get one. There's one little. It's just just yeah, off. It's not right. Just a little. Just not a little. right. But when it's on, baby, it there's nothing. And better. that's it's got to be an offensive weapon. I don't care how you classify it. Wait, is Hyatt coming out? Oh yeah, he's in. All right. So oh yeah, he's in. He's, he's Will Fuller. He's in. He's top he, half of the he first. He was the round. easiest comp I had. Player the comp. Cop award winner. Will Fuller. Oh yeah, he can fly. He right. can jet. I'm gonna go good ball skills too. In I'm not gonna name the order now, but quarterback, receiver, corner. Defensive, can I say defensive lineman? We're okay, running a 4 3. That's right? fine. That's fine. Defensive, defensive lineman. lineman. Mm -hmm. Because look, if you draft Jalen Carter, you're not drafting. We need help in the interior. Okay, you know, fine. You need help in the interior. But you're drafting him to wreck the game. Game wrecker. Wherever the, yeah, wherever yeah, yeah. the position is in the front seven, I want somebody to destroy the backfield. Jalen Carter will do that. There's no, there's no doubt. I, you know, I probably need to take that back about corner because I forgot. We need to, we need to find the middle of the offensive line. We need a center. Now, again, there's free agent money that you can, you know, use, and maybe you end up finding a center that way. I don't, I don't love the center class, but you got to have, you got to have the center and position. This leads me to the next show topic, right. which is more likely to happen. We'll do this tomorrow. All right, maybe. we'll do that tomorrow. Absolutely. Like trade up or trade down from 12, more likely to happen. That oh. will be on the agenda, Johnny. I'm gonna go ask Nick right now. Uh, by the way, go ask Nick, what are you doing? Like I did earlier, he yeah. wouldn't tell me, but maybe he'll tell me in private, and then I'll share it on the radio. Maybe not. I'm kidding, Nick. I'm kidding. Now, what I'm not kidding about was yesterday was Valentine's Day, and that's all about love. Drew Doherty and I talked about what we love next on Texas All Access. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this final segment of a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and one half of the In the Lab podcast duo, my man Drew Doherty. Now, we recorded this on Valentine's Day, and so the word love was uh, was brought to the forefront. What do we love about the Texans, etc.? Well, Drew and I handled that here. Well, at least a little bit of it here. Take a listen. Let's lead off with D'Amico Ryans being the head coach after being the captain here. Here's one fun little fact I love about D'Amico Ryans that I heard the first year I was here. D'Amico Ryans hit so hard and hit so much that dang near after every single game, they had to replace his face mask because <laughs> he was that. bending his face mask. That's so, Mike Singletary-esque. I mean, I don't think that gets out there these days. I think the, the technology's improved maybe, but D'Amico Ryans, that's, that's the type of guy, all you kiddos out here that never got to see him play, that's the type of guy he was. Yeah. I mean, he just gobbled up tackles. He was the defensive player of the year in the SEC his, his final year at oh, Alabama yeah. in 2005. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. good team. They won nine games. They were undefeated into November before a couple stumbles there, which happens in the SEC. But I love that a guy who had his face mask get bent, and I love saying get bent, and there's an energy in the building, man. There's an energy in the building that I love, 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 John. Having a bent face mask, you know the force it takes? A lot. I hit people as hard as I possibly could when I could. I never bent my face mask except for the one time where I I got up and I was like, I don't know what just happened. I hit Juan Kemp from Maid Creek. Maid Creek. Go Rams. And he ended up going to Michigan. That dude, he was a big, he was like 6'1", 210, and I hit him with everything I had in a playoff game. And I got up and my 
two bars were like, wow. (laughs) Wow. You got to do something to bend some face masks. Bend some face masks, that's for sure. That was 17.5A Maid Creek back then. Yeah, they were 4A at that point because it was right when Maid Creek opened. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right right when they opened. Um, Yeah, I think it's loving having D'Amico around here. I have a question real fast. Mm -hmm. Will you call him Cap or Coach? Uh, It's an odd question. But I've kind of been debating because I've always said this. Every single coach that I come across is coach to me. Yeah, yeah. Always and forevermore. Especially if you coached me, you always be coach. I will never like it was it was hard for me to call Jim Bernhardt Jimmy. Like right. I, I had a hard time doing that. I he was always coach. So I think he's gonna be coach to me. I think Probably he will be coach. so. Yeah, I always called him D'Amico. I you know, I always called Cushing Brian. Yeah. And everybody calls him Cush. Cush yeah. You know, I always just called him Brian. Yeah, Brian. So I was kind of like a weirdo in that regard. But I'll probably call him Coach, yeah, when I see him. So, yeah, I love uh, – I'm in love with D'Amico Hire for sure. I yeah. think that's really cool. I Now, I don't know if this has been announced, but it's been out there. There have been a lot of sources saying this one. So I'm going to go with it. Okay. I love the fact that Gerard Johnson's here. Gerard Johnson great at quarterback. Played at Humble High School. Don't pronounce the H. It's silent. Mm-hmm. We're not humble here. We're nope. humble. And in timeout, uh, you want to know one of, one of my pet peeves. One of the things you want to know. One thing I don't love is when you get an award. Not you, John Harris, mm-hmm. but when people get awards or get honored. Yeah. And they get up and they say, oh, "I'm just so humbled by this," or "Humbled by it." No, you're not humbled by it. You're flattered by it. Right. You're not humbled because humbled means you've had your legs chopped out from under <laughs> you and you've been taken down a rung or two. So right. stop, stop saying right. you're humbled if you get right. something. If something nice happens, you're to honored. You. Yes, you're honored. It's a great. I am showing. Flattered. I hope to show my humility in accepting this award. That's a good good term. I, that would be okay. Um, Draw went to humble, and then he went to Texas A&M. Uh, I thought. The end of his career at Texas a was unfortunate because of the arm issue. He ended up having an injury. And then he went to the league, and he, he bounced around. He saw a lot of different teams and organizations. And I got to know him around 2016, 2017, I think. And he actually we, – we, I went to do a game at Sam, and they said, oh, yeah, Gerard's on the sideline. I'm like, Gerard? I'm like, yeah, Gerard Johnson. I'm like, what? How the hell is Gerard down there, and I'm up here? <laughs> And so I talked to him a bunch that day, and he's like, you know, I'm just trying to kind of figure it out, man. Just trying to figure out what I want to do, how I want to go about it. And it was the next year that he ended up getting a fellowship up with the Indianapolis Colts. We got a lot more to that podcast. Go check it out at HoustonTexas.com, wherever you get your podcasts. And can't wait to see Gerard officially named very, very soon. And a big thanks to Gerard, obviously, to Drew, to Mark, and, of course, to Nick Casario. To all you for listening, we'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And as always, go Texans.